It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It is great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as always, we've got a lot of ground to cover in the fastest 60 minutes of radio. As we attempt to slow things down for you today, help you divide the rage from the reason, elevate the conversation, connect the dots, and help you make the news make sense. And there's a lot of it going on out there, nationally and locally as well. I want to begin uh, right into it today. Uh, obviously, the uh, election, uh, primary election for the Republican nominee for governor of the state of Utah uh, was called yesterday, and Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox and Deidre Henderson uh, took that race. Uh, in a close and hotly contested race, four-way race, unique uh, to the Utah primary system. First time we've had that. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, John Huntsman Jr., former ambassador to uh, both Russia and China for the U.S., uh, came in a close second there. And uh, he conceded that race uh, shortly after it was called by the AP uh, last night. And so there's a, a lot of ground to, to cover in terms of what happened, what went right, what went wrong, what could have been done different, uh, regardless of who you were for, who you were against, and uh, what's going on. And more importantly, what comes next is the big question and the big test, uh, because the thing we have to remember about all elections, even primary elections, uh, as you move and make that pivot into the fall, elections are, are not about what was or what is. It's always about what comes next. Uh, and so that will be the interesting thing to see. It will be interesting to see how uh, the lieutenant governor uh, and his running mate, Deidre Henderson, how they pivot and start moving towards the fall. They do have some uh, unification work to do in terms of the party, which, again, is one of the interesting byproducts of having a four-way race in a primary. Remember, historically, there's there are only two-way races in uh, Utah primaries uh, until the uh, most recent law uh, adjustments were made on SB 54. And uh, so with that, you end up with four factions. So you have the Thomas Wright camp. You have about 8% of the... Republicans out there who were uh, strongly behind Thomas Wright. Uh, you had uh, former Speaker of the House Greg Hughes, who uh, surprised many people, um, not me. Uh, I knew he had a solid 20-plus percent in the bank in terms of his support. He proved he could deliver on that. And then, of course, uh, John Huntsman Jr. Uh, had a little over 34 percent of the vote. So uh, where you do not have that head-to-head -head matchup, the unification process is really important if you're a Republican in the state of Utah. Uh, so that will that will begin to take place. So it'll, it will be interesting to see what the pivot is uh, for the lieutenant governor. I know he's going to be uh, connecting with the media a little later on this afternoon. So we'll continue to monitor that here at KSL News Radio as we go through the day. Also, Chris, Chris Peterson now gets uh, his chance to move into the spotlight more as the Democratic nominee for governor in the state. Uh, we had Chris on the show uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And since he did not have a primary contest, uh, he didn't have the uh, 
added bonus of having a lot of debates and and uh, things that put him into the the spotlight in the community. And so we look forward to continuing our conversations with uh, Chris Peterson and what his vision is, because now he gets that opportunity to really make his case uh, to Utah voters and especially those crossover voters. Remember, there was a a good number of Democrats uh, who crossed over, who registered as Republicans. Uh, Do they all uh, nicely get into line and file back across the road to the uh, Democratic side of the line uh, and re-register as Democrats? And uh, will they be with Chris Peterson come fall? So all of those things are are going to play out uh, over the next uh, few months as we get through the summer and then on into the fall contest. Obviously, the pandemic is going to continue to play a role in all politics, local and national. Uh, We heard today uh, Chuck Grassley, uh, longest serving uh, Republican in the United States Senate, said he will not attend the uh, Republican convention, uh, which will be held in Florida this year. I remember it was initially in uh, North Carolina. They're shifting to Florida and uh, he will not attend. And it's been, I think, almost half a century since uh, Chuck Grassley was not at a Republican convention. So uh, a lot of interesting things will take place there. Uh, Also, again, closer to home, uh, as you look at the 4th Congressional District, uh, how that race will begin to shape uh, shape up and be formed now that you have Representative Ben McAdams and the Republican nominee Burgess Owens. Uh, They will begin to go at it. I think that one is going to be most interesting And I think it will probably be the race that will have the most outside money uh, dumped into it from both the left and the right. And so we'll watch that. Uh, We were having an interesting discussion last night uh, just talking about how these the national parties play in and how they do have this incredible ability to dump large sums of money into races and and influence outcomes, particularly of federal races. And uh, I've I've seen uh, that happen both ways. I've seen them uh, do that, Democrat and Republican, uh, pour in big amounts of money and win a race. I've also seen them dump in large amounts of money and cause the candidate to lose because they didn't get to the local issues or it was too negative or too harsh or uh, didn't feel like it was in the flavor of the particular state or district. Uh, and so just because there is a lot of money being pledged, Uh, both to Representative McAdams, and we look forward to having uh, more conversations with him and uh, with Burgess Owens as uh, the nominee for the Republicans. Uh, We'll have him on as well. And I want to ask them about the outside money and how they plan to deal with that come fall, knowing some of it will be helpful and some of it may be less helpful. (laughs) Some of it might even cause them some damage, cause them to have to uh, do some explaining. And so we'll we'll watch all of that. I want to go back quickly, uh, mention that uh, all the campaigns up and down the ballot and uh, across the state and across the country are going to have to continue to be nimble and be very creative in terms of how campaigns are run. Uh, summer is usually a time uh, you're marching in a lot of parades and there are not many parades to be marched in this year. So how will you get in front of the people that way? Can you solely rely on a social media campaign? How do you connect personally with the voters? How do you make sure the voters understand what you're for, what your vision is, and where you're trying to take the country or where you're trying to take the state or where you're trying to take the city? Uh, All of those things uh, are just such important things to to get through, but they're all going to have to navigate it in the context of coronavirus. Uh, if you missed it earlier, uh, Dave and Dejanovic on their show today uh, had uh, Dr. Angela Dunn uh, join them. And I want to play just a, a clip out of that interview. Again, this was on Dave and Dejanovic a little earlier today on KSL. 
These are some of the things that candidates are going to have to deal with as well as citizens. Yeah, so I think, you know, the first thing is that we as a health department definitely make our recommendations from a public health perspective. Um, and we've clearly not met that mark. But the good news is, is that we are starting to see a plateau. It is a higher plateau um, with cases around, you know, five to 550 per day. But it is a good sign to see that plateau. And we need to start seeing that decrease. And we know how to do it. We do it by wearing face coverings when we're out in public, staying home when we're sick and practicing physical distancing where possible. All right, again, that's uh, Angela Dunn uh, weighing in today on Dave and Janovic. And uh, a great interview. If you missed any of that, make sure you go check out the uh, podcast there with Dave and Janovic. Uh, always great interview, great insight there. And it is encouraging that we are seeing this plateau. It's at a little higher level than I think most of us would like to see. Uh, but the reason it is plateauing is because people are doing the right things. And that's what we need to make sure we continue to do. Uh, it, it's less about mandate and it's less about politics it's more about individuals and uh, it just the, the simple things, uh, mask, distance, <laughs> wash your hands. If you're sick, stay home. Uh, all of those things uh, are, are just the simple things that have to be done. Uh, and they will have an impact on our politics for sure because the campaigns are going to have to navigate this in an interesting way. Uh, and so we'll continue to have those conversations and uh, make sure everyone is up to speed on what is happening on each of those critical races here in the state of Utah. Coming up a little later on in the show, 11.35, Jay Evenson from the Desert News is going to join me. We're going to break down uh, some interesting things in terms of the gubernatorial primary that just concluded yesterday. Uh, we'll talk about things like ranked choice vote, voting. How would that have played out? The need to get to a plurality. Uh, someone winning with you know a little over a third of the vote is an interesting thing to think through. Uh, and then what has to happen as a result of that. Uh, we'll also look at runoffs and uh, things that other states are doing uh, in those scenarios. So much, much more to cover uh, here on KSL News Radio today. We'll go ahead and step aside for a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk NASA. Always one of our favorite topics here. Some new and exciting things rolled out today. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Great to be with you today. And uh, of course, a lot of political action uh, going on around the state and across the country. And we'll continue to break that down. And as always, uh, we want you to be part of the conversation. You can do that on the Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line, 57500. Again, 57500, only when it's safe on the uh, Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line. And uh, chime in. Give us your thoughts, your opinions on what's going on in the world today. Help us elevate the conversation and connect a few of the dots. 
And uh, very pleased to welcome one of the great dot connectors of the state of Utah, Jay Evenson from the Deseret News. Jay, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, boy, for having me. <laughs> That's a new title. I'm sure you've never been introduced as the great dot connector. <laughs> well, I've been called a lot of things in my career, but never dot connector. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, no, and you do a, a great job. J- Jay has such a wealth of experience and just an ability to analyze and cut through uh, a lot of the stuff to get to the heart of an issue. And the issue I want to get to the heart of today uh, is uh, obviously we got election results. Uh, finally took about a week as uh, as we had predicted it would with all mail-in balloting. And uh, first, let me uh, get just kind of some general observations uh, as someone who's always watching these things. Uh, any any interesting takeaways in terms of uh, a very late June primary and all by mail? Well, the, well, it was not only all by mail, but it was during a pandemic. And so we had to wait ex- an extra long time because the ballots had to be quarantined after they were uh, mailed in. Um, so it was unusual that way. It kind of reminded me of what I've read about in the 19th century, where it would take days and days before people knew the, the uh, results of an election. Um, I, the interesting thing to me is that early uh, in the year, we expected a really low turnout because this election was on June 30th. And a lot of people are on vacation, and people are just generally not tuned in to political issues at the end of June. Right. But then the pandemic comes along, and everybody's at home, and everybody has a lot of time to uh, study the issues. No one's going on vacation, and you end up with a very uh, large turnout. I haven't seen uh, exact figures on it, but there were over 500,000 yeah. ballots cast, and, and, and that was uh, uh, a lot. And then the third big thing is because of the pandemic— the candidates couldn't uh, campaign the way they normally do. And so you didn't have rallies. You didn't have baby kissing and handshaking. You had a lot of uh, mail. And and everybody, I think, in the state has probably uh, uh, got enough to keep their fireplaces going. I guess we don't use wood-burning fireplaces anymore. But (laughs) the landfill, I guess. There we go. (laughs) So those were were three big uh, differences, I think, this time around. Yeah, they did. And and before we start breaking down uh, some of those results, uh, I do think we need to give a big shout out to our, our county clerks uh, who really did some, uh, as we like to say, hard work and heavy lifting, uh, getting that done. I think getting that all done within a week was actually uh, pretty impressive, uh, especially given the fact that, uh, you know, for 12 to 24 hours, they had to quarantine the, the ballots. So big shout out to all the county clerks and uh, and all those involved with the election. I think uh, Utah proved again that you can you can do things different than they have been, and uh, it sounds uh, to me, I haven't heard any reports of anyone complaining about any of the things you typically have to worry about on Election Day, fraud and, and uh, some of those kinds of things. That's true, and, and uh, you know, vote by mail has become a uh, political issue nationwide, and it's, it's not been that way in Utah. And of course, we've done this for several years now. Uh, but but you're right, and and the 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 great thing about elections in America, and people I, I think don't fully appreciate it, is that they are handled county by county for the most part in right. in this uh, country, and it makes it very hard to um, produce wholesale fraud to change a nationwide election, for example, because you have to go in and and get people in on your conspiracy in many many different counties, and that's just too difficult to do. So there is. There is a beauty in a system that's uh, as fractured as ours is. Yeah, fascinating. Well, I want to get to a, a little bit of the fallout and uh, kind of the, the back end pieces in, in terms of some of the things that people, I think, are still worried about 
as it relates to the elections. I think the the biggest issues uh, seem to be around uh, in the governor's race uh, that, again, you didn't have a plurality. You had uh, Spencer Cox win with just over a third uh, of the votes there. So you don't have anyone representing a majority, even in a primary. Um, and so that leads to some interesting questions, too, in terms of does the legislature just need to fix that? Uh, are they willing to just fix that? Do we need to look at ranked choice voting? Uh, what's your take there, Jay? Yeah, you know, there, there's always the question, if you have a, a winner with less than 50% of the vote, is that really somebody who has any kind of a mandate from, from the voters? Um, and lawmakers have been reluctant to, to deal with this, and they saw this coming, you know, in the last session. They knew there could be, uh, there were four candidates, there could have been as many as six. Right. And uh, and they did nothing about it. There There are two possible solutions to this. One is a runoff election where now you would have uh, uh, Spencer Cox and John Huntsman Jr. say six weeks from now face off in a head-to-head uh, runoff election. Um, and the other one you, you alluded to is uh, ranked choice voting. Um, a little bit more complicated, but, but um, being done, it's already been done in two cities in Utah, in Vineyard and Payson, in last year's municipal election. And what that does is you have four candidates, and so, so the voters then get to rank uh, those four candidates uh, according to their preferences. And then when the ballots are counted, the, the candidate with the fewest votes is eliminated, and all of his votes, his first place, or his, I'm sorry, the, the second place votes that uh, were on those ballots then are distributed among the remaining three candidates. Right. And then you keep you keep eliminating candidates until somebody at top has more than 50% of the vote and is declared a winner. Um, that's getting a lot of traction around the country. Um, and there are, there are pros and cons um, to each of them. And I, I think the value of a runoff election, if I can just go back to that yeah. for a minute, is that if you were in that situation right now, then you would have both uh, the final candidates having to appeal to the voting base of the two losing candidates. So in other words, there must be some reason why a bunch of people chose to vote for Thomas Wright instead of for Cox or Huntsman, and the same for Greg Hughes. And those two candidates would have to then figure out what those issues are and try to appeal to those to that base, to those uh, the bases of those two candidates, and would try very hard to get the endorsement from Cox or from um, Thomas Wright. And so, in that way, you would you would have maybe a little bit more representational um, choice at the end because you'd have a candidate who had been forced to make promises that he would have to be held to uh, that would reflect the preferences of those voters who it's lost in the first round. Yeah. I'd... Now. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, it was just, uh, about a minute to go here, but I, I just want to say, I, to me, the the ranked choice is, is simple, um, but I don't think it really gives you a, a full perspective. Like, I would love to see uh, the two leading candidates, again, if it's a four-person or a six-person race, I would love to see the two then really have a chance to go head-to-head and have debates and compare and contrast, uh, whereas if, you know, all you have is four candidates on a stage, you have a debate uh, you know, it really limits the time, it limits the interaction, um, and doesn't really help us get to uh, to the best solution. But of course, there is a cost to that. 
Uh, but give us a, give, give us just a, a final 30-second uh, take, Jay, in terms of uh, what else should we be thinking about as it relates to our primary elections? Um, well, you know, if, if I could go back to just the ranked choice voting, yeah. I, I agree with you on that. I, I, I think, however, the, um, the one advantage to it is that it makes elections much more civil. Uh, there, you, you don't, mm, you want to point. appeal to, uh, your opponent's, uh, second place choices, right? Right. And so you're, you're far less likely to say something negative about the other candidate. In fact, in other states where this has been done, it's not unusual to find two candidates, uh, on the same commercial saying, you know, if you don't vote for me, uh, make me your second choice. Right. Um, <laughs> which changes the dynamic, um, quite a bit. And so I, I think, um, that's the advantage there. But you're right. Uh, I think it's better debate uh, if you have another election season uh, going on. I think we need to look at uh, the timing on all this. Is June, is late June the best time to have uh, our uh, um, primaries, or should we, should we wait until September until people are more clued into it? If we're not always going to be in a pandemic year, and I think... Uh, I think that's something that we need to also think about going forward. Yeah, uh, great perspective as always. And I'm going to hold you to the uh, we're not going to have to deal with the pandemic every year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope not. <laughs> All right, Jay Evenson. Jay, always appreciate your insight. Thanks for coming on with us today. Thank you, Boyd. All right, we're going to step aside. When we come back, uh, we're going to go back to an issue we started four months ago, challenging the new normal with the new now. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.